Well, it's a joy to be able to preach again uh, this morning. I know it's been a few weeks uh, for those of you hints, and you're going to get to hear me two weeks in a row. Uh, I'm excited to spend some time thinking about the life of Abraham this morning and a test that he went through. You know, for each of us, I have no doubt that we face our own difficulties in life that bring about hard feelings or circumstances, uh, frustrations. Uh, This starts even for the youngest of us, right, kids? I mean, I know life can be really hard sometimes when mom and dad say, you need to go clean your room. Like, come on, really? Like, why? this is a hard task to make my bed and to pick up my toys. And for what purpose? It's going to get dirty again, right? What's the whole reason for this? All right, but okay, so many of us are adults. We've moved past the smaller things of making a bed, maybe, uh, hopefully. <laughs> All right, students, right? You're in school. Oh, man, that, that teacher gave you that assignment. Why? What's the point of this assignment? Why should I do this? This is hard. Actually, I recently had a conversation with a relative while I was on the East Coast. Uh, kind of hilarious to me. Had me calling into question all sorts of technology. Their teacher assigned them a very difficult assignment uh, to write this paper two days before it was due. They felt that this was very unfair. So they used AI to write their paper for them. I think he missed the point of the assignment, right? I don't know that he learned whatever he was supposed to be learning in that class. But for us, even as adults, perhaps it's in the household relationships or with family, or as I think about a project at work and the difficulty of a boss and assignment handed down to me. What makes those circumstances difficult is not always just the work itself, but actually, what is the purpose? My lack of understanding of why am I enduring this? For what cause? Is it worth it? It's really hard for us to be motivated in hard circumstances when we fail to see the point, when we lack understanding. And what makes it harder is when it's an authority that gives down that instruction and we feel compelled that we must obey and we must follow that instruction, fulfill that task. And I would challenge us, even as Christians, this is even harder as Christians. What do we do when it's God's authority above us who hands down a difficulty in life? Do we have the choice to say no thank you? Or to use IA to make our lives easier and complete the task. Now, often these are spiritual tests that challenge us. They're not things that we necessarily ask for. I get it. It's different when I make a hard choice that makes my life even harder. But what if I didn't ask for these things and God allowed them in my life? How do we respond? What motivates us to persevere through difficult circumstances in life? Well, this morning, we're going to spend time looking at Abraham, who was given a test. I've been preaching through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, but in their Old Testament context. So a few weeks ago, we covered Abraham's wife, Sarah. Uh, Long before that, we actually already covered Abraham once as he left his land and was called to go to an unknown place. And he followed God. He left all of his family and moved on. Well, we come back to Abraham again today in Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to think about this testing that has happened and the faith that Abraham needed. There's one idea that I want us to walk away with this morning that I want us to dwell on this week, and it is this. 
Our obedience in God's testing must come from our faith in God's provision. Our obedience in God's testing must come from our faith in God's provision. I believe we're going to see this in our text this morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 22 if you haven't already. Uh, You can use a pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, it's on page 16. And actually, just an encouraging reminder, if you don't have a Bible and you're here this morning, you are welcome to take that pew Bible and use it. You can take it home. Read it with somebody. We'd encourage you to use that pew Bible as you seek God in your own life. In Genesis 22, let me lay the structure of this text very quickly. Uh, We're going to see that Abraham is spoken to four different times in this text, all right? So there's four different uh, dialogues that happen with Abraham. Uh, We're going to look at these dialogues in two different sections. So we're going to see two dialogues and then two more. The first set in verses 1 through 10, we're going to look at the idea of our obedience coming from faith. And then the second set from 11 to verse 19 we will see that God's provision is salvation and blessing. And so let's begin with our first point, looking at verses 1 through 10. Would you follow along with me as I read these verses in Genesis 22? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and sent out, set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father? And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. We're going to stop reading there just to leave you all on a cliffhanger. We'll come back to the second half of the story in a moment. But I want us to start with thinking through this idea of obedience coming from faith and yet to really address what I assume is one of the burning questions that most of us have when we read this text. Does God really test his people? Is this the God that I follow? Well, right here at the beginning of this text, we're told God tested Abraham. And so the answer to that hard question is yes, God does bring testing to his people. In fact, I would argue God had been testing Abraham long before even this story where we're very pointedly told that it's a test. Abraham was tested in the amount of time that he waited for a promised son, Isaac. He was tested in the way that he followed God across a desert waiting to find out where God would establish him in this land that he promised with a people that he had promised. We even see Abraham failing some tests perhaps. 
where leaders in land in, in two circumstances, where two different leaders actually took interest in Abraham's wife, Sarah, and he lied. And yet God sustained him through those and prevented anything from happening. But here we're point blank told God tests his children. He tests Abraham. Well, we shouldn't be surprised by this too much. As we read scripture, we'll find out in Deuteronomy chapter 8 later on, the people of Israel, long descendants after Abraham, they had been tested. Deuteronomy 8, 2 says, I have tested you, Israel, as I sent you through the wilderness. We get to the Psalms, and the psalmist is writing in Psalm 26, 2. He's actually asking God, God, test me and try me. And so we shouldn't be surprised that God's people and Christians are called to be tested. And we should expect testing. In the New Testament, Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, testing is something that God uses in the life of his children. And I want to lay out right here to set a tone for the sermon that there is a purpose and there is a plan in that testing. Similar to the text that was read earlier in James, James writes to believers and says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Here is the answer to why we are tested, my friends, and why God would allow testing in the lives of believers. It is for our own spiritual good that we would grow in maturity and endurance as we walk through this life, that we would know God more and that we would follow him more faithfully. And so this testing sets the tone for our whole text that God would allow something into Abraham's life. Why? For his own good. For God's glory that Abraham might grow in his faith. And so what is this test? Well, we've read the first 10 verses here. Let me highlight a few things about this test. God tells Abraham specifically, you are to take your son. Oh, this is the long-awaited son. Last sermon that I preached a few weeks ago, we got to sit in this story and rejoice in God's kindness in giving Abraham and Sarah this son when they are in their 90s. And the beautiful picture of God's provision of this a long-awaited son, Isaac. And he says, Abraham, this son that you love, I want you to take him and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. All right, the burnt offering side of this is not any surprise to Abraham. This is a very normal thing. Abraham's really pattern of worship would have been to have a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to worship God, to restore that relationship between him and God and seeking Repentance for sin. As he sacrificed this lamb on an altar, but here to be asked to sacrifice his own son. Presumably, one of the things he loved the most in this life. This is what God called Abraham to do. All right, this wasn't just a simple sending off his son to college or overseas. He's being asked to give him up in one way, permanently, to sacrifice his son. And how does Abraham respond? 
to such a request. Verse three, he got up early in the morning. I'd love to camp here and challenge you all getting up early. This is good. I know not everybody's that person. I am, all right? Abraham got up, ready. And he goes and he starts collecting the wood. A donkey, he's getting everything ready, getting the fire ready. All right, he doesn't have his Bic lighter in his back pocket, right? He's got to carry the fire with him. He's getting all these things ready. He, he starts preparing. So I want us to, to see a pattern that's happening here. All right, Abraham obeys, right? He starts gathering things and even the longevity of his obedience. It wasn't like Abraham just went out instantly and did this. No, he had to go to the place where God told him to go. It was a three-day hike. Three days later, they see the place where they're going to go in the land of Moriah to offer this sacrifice. This was a long endurance. Can you imagine being given this type of instruction, this type of test, and to walk for three days with your son to think about these things? And yet Abraham obeyed through the longevity of this obedience. But notice what Abraham says to the young men. He says, all right, you stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going to go over there to worship, and we're going to come back. Well, that's a little presumptive. God just said, go kill your son as a sacrifice of worship. And yet, Abraham's saying, ah, we'll be back. Both of us, we'll be back. All right, so they carry on, Abraham and Isaac. But Isaac asked this question while they're walking. Dad, uh, we got fire, we've got wood, I get that. There's no lamb. What is Abraham's response? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Notice here, right in the middle of Abraham's obedience, are two testaments of his faith that is already at work. Faith that his son will be walking back with him and faith that God would provide the right sacrifice. And so Abraham binds his son and sets him on an altar and reaches out and takes a knife, ready to follow God's commands. Abraham's obedience of gathering all the supplies to the point of tying up his son, ready to sacrifice him, right in the middle is a display of his faith to say, we are both going to come back and God is going to provide the sacrifice that we need. It's an amazing display of Abraham's confidence that God has not asked him to do something that he could not complete. And so was Abraham really intending to sacrifice his son in worship? He was. Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith gives us an insight to Abraham's heart and mind. In verses 17 to 19, we are told this, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He had already offered him up in his own heart. Abraham received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He, Abraham, considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Hebrews 11 tells us Abraham went into this circumstance ready to sacrifice his son because he had faith and confidence that God could even raise his son from the dead. 
because God had promised to do something through this son, a lineage and a people that God would not retract because God is faithful to his promises. And so Abraham had faith in God's promise that this was the son. And whatever God needed to do, he would fulfill that. Even if that meant raising someone from the dead, God could do that work. What a difficult test Abraham finds himself in. And yet, in this testing, he is finding himself obeying through faith. Now, our testing can look very different, very different ways, right? I don't think God's calling any of us to sacrifice our children. Uh, one, because this isn't a way in which we worship anymore, all right, in case you weren't sure. Uh, we can talk about that later. And yet God does call us in many ways to sacrifice, to live lives that are perhaps seemingly to us harder than the rest of the world around us who aren't following God. I wonder for you, what's the hardest way for you to obey God right now? What is it hardest for you to submit to the Lord's authority, to show obedience in the way that you would submit to him? Because I think for us, there are hard commands. There are times that it is hard for us to obey. We are called as Christians to live moral and ethical lives. Not just moral and ethical to the world, but according to Christ's standard, called upon us to be those who represent the change that God has done in our own hearts. And so I wonder for you, as you live in the world, is there a difficulty, maybe in the workplace, of you living out a Christian work ethic that you wouldn't cheat your employer or cheat on your taxes or lie in some way in which you could get ahead in this society? but to go through the difficulty of doing what you know is right because God has called you to live as his follower, as one who represents him. Perhaps for you in this society, in this culture, it's the call to be one who is living a life of sexual purity. You find yourself struggling with, God, why did you call me to this when you gave me these desires? I have things in my life that compel me to live unfaithfully to my spouse, to pursue sexuality outside of marriage, to live a life that is attracted to somebody in a way that you've not called us to live. God, why would you call me to be a Christian when you've put these things in my own heart? Do you doubt God's ability to provide for you even relationally in those moments with those desires, within the bounds of his instruction? Or perhaps for you, it's just simply the difficulty of spiritual faithfulness. When you find yourself in the moment of testing to continue to go back to God's word and to trust in him, to say, God, I find it hard to read your word. I find it hard to be in prayer. I find it hard to gather with your people. And yet I know that you've called me to that. Friends, I don't want to just stand up here and challenge you to just obey. All right, this is something John was talking about in his tes testimony earlier, right? As Christians, we can unhelpfully just compel each other, just obey, do all these things, and, and life's going to be fine. And friends, I want you to look at Abraham and what was compelling him to obey. 
He wasn't just going through the motions, but he was actually obeying in his heart. Friends, blind obedience is miserable. Faithless obedience, it is tiresome, and you will be weary trying to keep all the rules and all the standards that you think God has called you to in his word. Don't do that without faith. Don't do that blindly. Even if we can, by some means, find ourselves obeying God well in this life, we have to consider, where is my heart in all of this? Is your heart given to follow God in obedience, or are you just going through the motions as if God will be pleased because you checked all the boxes? Our obedience should come from our faith, not just out of a sense of duty. And so if you walk away this morning with any challenge, I don't want you to hear, I just have to obey a lot. Friends, what I want to challenge you with is go and live by faith and grow in your faith. How does your obedience come from your faith? Because in our lives, faith is belief that God is faithful to his children, to his promises that he has given to us. He will accomplish what he has promised to do. Faith is belief that Belief that God is truly in control, that he has not given me anything that is outside of his control. He has not called me to do anything that he will not provide for me to do. Faith is belief that God's testing of us is for our own spiritual good and for his glory. And so I want to consider, I want you to consider four ways to strengthen your faith as you endure testing. One, look at your test and then go right to God's word. Right? And ask God to show you who he is and what he has promised to you as his child. Look at God's character and who he is. So go to God's word. Secondly, and we're going to come back to this idea of fuller in the second point, but look at your test and inventory all the good gifts that God has given to you. What has he given to you? Even in the midst of a trial and a test. What has he given to you that you might persevere in this life? Number three, look at your test and ask God to grow you. Go back to the Psalms and pray, God, test me, grow me, mature me through this test that I might come out stronger in my faith and my trust in you. And fourth, look at your test and ask others to come along with you. Tell others about the testing that God's putting you through. Ask them to walk alongside of you, to hold your hand and to pray with you and to mourn and weep with you. Why? Because you're asking them to even look at their own faith and strengthen their faith in the midst of your testing as they strengthen your faith and remind you of what God has done for you and promises to do for you. Let others in this church and their faith strengthen you in the midst of your trial. And so rather than working hard at obeying, work hard at knowing God and growing in your faith. Give yourself to the study of the word and looking at all that God has given to you. Strong faith makes obedience easier. Makes hearing God's instruction that much sweeter. Because your faith is in him and what he's done for you. So far in our story, we've seen Abraham obey and express this idea of faith. And yet part of our question has to be, what did God do? Did he actually follow through? Abraham obeyed God. 
And it's clear that his obedience is coming out of faith, but how did God actually respond? Abraham proclaims, God himself is going to provide for me. Did God provide? Well, we're going to see in our second point, obedience in God's testing must come from our faith in God's provision because God provides in salvation and in blessing. So I want us to look at this salvation and blessing. Follow along with me as I read verses 11 to 19. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. All right, let me just note three times Abraham's response. Here I am, right? He's ready to listen. He's ready to heed what is being said to him. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord says to him, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will, provi it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Abraham went back to his young men and they got up and went together to Beersheba and Abraham settled in Beersheba. Here we see God's provision was salvation and blessing. God stops Abraham from killing Isaac. He says, nope, don't do that. This test is over. It has concluded. I want you to know why God stops Abraham. All right, we ask the question in verse 1, right? God tests Abraham. Why is God testing Abraham? Well, verse 12, don't lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God and have not withheld even your only son from me. Here's a proclamation of Abraham's faith that is seen in his fear of God. For us as Christians to have a right fear of God is lived out and seen in our faith in him. Because fear without faith is fear of judgment and torment, of authority that is misplaced. But fear that is done in faith is fear that is honoring to God, that is in awe, in wonder of his majesty and his power and his work. And Abraham feared God in this way that he had a heart that was set on faith, obedient through faith, displaying that he feared God because he loved God and trusted God. Not out of fear of what God would do to him and his son. And so the answer to the test that Abraham was given was fear God through faith and obedience. And how does God answer this test? Oh, by giving Abraham the sacrifice that he longed for. A ram caught in the thicket, the acceptable sacrifice. 
And so Abraham takes the ram and sacrifices the ram on the altar and worships God. Right? He follows through in what he intended to do in worshiping God. And yet in God's kindness, this provision for him to save Isaac from death. Even in what Abraham had faith God could do of raising his son, oh, it was in one way even easier than that. God would provide a different sacrifice. And so Abraham names this place, the Lord will provide. What is God's provision for us? If we're not offering sacrifices on altars, we're not killing animals to shed blood for the forgiveness of sin, what is God's provision for us? I want you to note a very particular word that's used here. In verse 2, in verse 12, and in verse 16, it is said to Abraham, your only son, Isaac. This is the promised son that Abraham received, Isaac. I want us all to note that God was not asking Abraham to do anything that God himself was not going to do for his people. God himself offered his only son, Jesus Christ, to be the acceptable sacrifice for us. Hebrews 10 reminds us that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is the spotless lamb of God who is offered for us in our place so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our own sins, so that we are not the ones on the altar. It was his blood that was spilt for us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've already sung about that this morning, that he was the lamb slain for sinners. And so God himself was ready to offer his own son on the cross for us who did not deserve to die. And Christ in his death defeated sin and in his resurrection defeated death showing his power to go sit at the right hand of God himself to be on the throne. And so friends, when you ask, what is God's provision for me if it is not a lamb on an altar thousands of years ago, it was his son, Jesus Christ, given to you and I that we might know God and be in relationship with him, that sin would no longer separate us from God. God's provision to us is salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and your trust in Christ as Savior, I want to challenge you that today is the day to put your faith in him. Come and talk to one of us. Talk to me. I'll be down here in the front after the, the service this morning. Talk to somebody you came with and, and, and ask them, what does it look like for me to put my faith in God in this way? To trust him that he would save me from my sins. To trust in Jesus as the only acceptable sacrifice. Today is the day of salvation, and God has already provided the salvation for you and for me. Believers who have already put their faith and trust in Christ, do you remember this sacrifice daily? The provision that God has given to you and me 
We trust in him for this salvation. If he has given us his only son, will he not give us all that we need in the midst of every trial that we have in this life? He has met our greatest need in Christ. And so I can say, I don't know what every testing you have is. I don't know what your greatest struggle is today. I know you have them because I have them. And I know that God has provided for you just as he's provided for me that he has given us his son, Jesus Christ. And there is no greater answer to the difficulty that you face in this life to lay those things before God and to say, God, if you have sacrificed your son for me, I know you've given me everything else I need to face what I'm facing today. And so in this way, God has provided salvation for us that strengthens me to obey God at all costs, to have my faith rooted in him and him alone. And not to sound like a salesman, but wait, there's more. It's God's blessing. There's more than just the provision of salvation. It is that God continues to bless his children. All right, here in this text, God enters the last dialogue with Abraham to say, Abraham, because you have obeyed me and I have provided the salvation, let, let me remind you of what I have promised to do, that there is even greater blessing coming along with this salvation. To Abraham, this was this blessing of an offspring, of numerous offspring, offspring that will bless other peoples, that will rule and reign, that will bring the nations together. And God says, I myself swear to you that I will accomplish this. It is God of the universe who is promising to Abraham, I will bless you. I have provided salvation and I will provide blessing for you. But what do we get? Do we have this promise of offspring? Do we have this promise of a nation? That's a difficult question, right? As we come to the Old Testament and bring that into the New Testament, what have we been promised? Well, yes and no, in different ways. I want to highlight that God has promised to us, Jesus Christ himself promising, I will be with you now until the end of this age. That Jesus will be with his people, co-heirs together. Oh, but even more than that, he has promised to send us the indwelling Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who will be with us as we come to the throne of God. With our requests and our needs, the Holy Spirit working in us to convict us of sin, to bring us before God the Father. Oh, that God has given us not just himself, but his people. Yes, an offspring, but seen in the people of God from every tribe and nation who are gathered into the church. The people who are sitting right around you are God's blessing to you in the midst of your trials and circumstances. And he has promised to us a future and eternal kingdom that is far greater than anything in this world. And so, yes, we face testing and we face trials and we are frustrated with this life. And that is the point. We don't live for this life. Our hope is in the future kingdom that God has promised to us a blessing that he himself will accomplish through Christ. Friends, this is, so I'm a car guy, right? And as a teenager to get a car, that was like amazing. All right, teens, this would be like if your parents gave you a car, like free. Here's a car. And you're like, sweet. I have wanted this for days, years. I've been dreaming of this. 
All right, it gets better. What if your parents were like, I'm going to give you a car and I will always fill it up with gas. I will do every maintenance and repair and I will pay for all of your insurance. Now that is a gift, right? That is a blessing. Some of you don't get it yet. You will, right? Just keep that in mind. <laughs> Five, 10 years, you're going to be like, that would be awesome. All right, salvation and God's blessings are far greater than a car and having it always maintained for us at no cost, right? God has said, not only will I save you, but I am going to be with you, caring for you and walking with you and loving you and bringing you to the end just as I promised to do. You will persevere. I wonder how quickly we forget the depths of God's promises to us of salvation and his blessing as we walk through the difficulty of life. Friends, take spiritual inventory this week. Consider all the beautiful blessings that God has given to you. Write them down. Pray about them. Give praise to God that he has given you his people, himself, his word. Consider all that God has done for you through salvation. And rather than getting caught up in the difficulty of testing, we rejoice in his kindness and grace to us to prepare us for such a day as this, that daily I would come before God in a season of testing and put my dependence and my faith in him. Christians, I want to encourage you even this week, to pick somebody else in this church that you can encourage with this truth. Call them up, send them a text, write them a note, send them an email, go knock on their door, talk to them and say, fellow Christian, this is a way that God has reminded me this week that he has blessed me. May this idea and this blessing that I've received be a blessing to you and remind you of what he's done in your life, to be an encouragement to one another, to build one another up in the midst of difficulties and trials. But Christians, to be ones who are proclaiming to the world around us, when we face really difficult circumstances, we don't turn to things of this world that might comfort us, money, sex, alcohol, success, prosperity. No, when I face difficulty, when I face trials, I want the world to see that I turn in faith to God who has provided all that I need. Are you committed this week to being one who proclaims to the watching world that your faith is in Christ and Christ alone? Not in your own strength, not in your own power, not in all the things that you have in this world, but all the things that you have in God, in God alone. Will you be that type of Christian this week proclaiming the truths of the gospel in the way that you live, even in the face of difficulty? Friends, don't live the Christian life as if you have no problems. That's not a true testimony to the watching world. God doesn't take away all of our problems. God uses our problems to strengthen us. So tell that to the world. Don't act as if you have no problems. Don't act as if you have no difficulties and frustrations and testing. No, be very clear that you have the same difficulties and testings. And they are a kind gift from God to strengthen you in your faith and to proclaim the truths of the gospel. That is what transforms the Christian life, is that we can respond in that way to God's faithfulness to us by our faithful obedience to him and telling the world all about it. 
Friends, today in Genesis 22, we see this beautiful picture of Abraham's faith in the midst of a very hard test. Test that maybe you and I, something like this, we might not ever face to this difficulty. And yet he obeyed through faith that God would provide for him. So for you and I, we go and we obey God, right? In the midst of testing, because our faith is in the fact that God has provided for us. He has given us all that we need. Our obedience in God's testing must come from our faith in God's provision. Would you join me in prayer? God, we come before you this morning with humble hearts to admit that we don't always understand the testing that you allow in our lives. We don't always recognize it as good. But God, we admit this morning that we want to grow in our faith in you, that you have given us tests for our own good and for your glory that we might proclaim the gospel to the watching world. God, would you be kind to this congregation, to me and all these who are gathered here today to strengthen our hearts in faith in you, in your promised son and all the kind blessings that you've given to us. That our hearts would well up more and more in our love of you and our trust in you as we face testing, that we would rejoice that you are kind to us and you are good to us to provide and to grow us in our walk with you. So Lord, use your word and your Holy Spirit in our hearts today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.